everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Palms a Penny Each. I hope everyone is keeping well and safe out there in this crazy messed up world. But you know the beauty of it is is that even though we are living in a world that is crazy, that is mental, that just doesn't make any sense. We can find beauty in it and we can take comfort from the arts, from the things that are beautiful, that the things that are created to add beauty to our world. Um, you just have to think of listening to your favourite band, your favourite music, how that lifts you up. I, I particularly take pleasure in, in listening to classical music being performed by musicians live. So I get to enjoy my local symphony. I get to enjoy things like that. I, there's um, looking and enjoying paintings looking at and enjoying paintings and all of these things and it's in our in our arts that we can find something that can give us a bit of comfort that can help us that can distract us in a way that doesn't make us want to throw things at the tv screen the way sport does let's face it i've you know this week has been a very difficult week for me as a sports fan the yankees lost to, to the tampa bay rays in in a frustrating series at times where one day, the first game, they absolutely blitzed Tampa out of the park. And the next matches, they were not so hot with the bat. Totally infuriating. And then I'm a Jets fan. And I won't go into that too much. Uh, but it's it really, um, you know, it's one of those times where sport is a great distraction. But at the end of the day, it doesn't take you out of the situation. It just gives you another thing to gripe about, another thing to be angry about. With art, with poetry you don't get that you have just a pure pleasure of an image whether it's an image that you're reading or an image you're looking at if you go into a museum or you're looking at a documentary or looking at a movie or things like that all the creative arts are there to take our minds off the world for a little while and the mess that this world is in and it gives us a nice bit of pleasure and a nice distraction and and that's what i hope this podcast is a little bit of a distraction maybe introducing you to a new poem helping you to read something that you haven't read in a while even and and that's my hope that's what i'm wanting to do i want to share with you poems that i love and this week we are going to look at a poem that i absolutely love it just floored me the moment i read it and then when you actually listen to the poet reading it it floors you even more and i'll explain why as as always after we've heard frank o'hara read it but the poem is called the day lady died and another thing that we have um that kind of annoys me a little bit and probably annoys a lot of people is this occasion where somebody famous dies and everybody wants to try and own the grief now i know certainly it is the case when you feel a connection with an artist that you are genuinely upset when david bowie died i was it was the first time that i actually felt that sense of, of of loss that we that something had had been lost um from a celebrity dying i mean obviously the personal grief that you feel when when members of your family die is completely different but the occasion of a stranger dying it was david bowie and leonard cohen that did it for me um and or seamus heaney was another one actually when he died i was i was really quite saddened by it um i didn't i i I, and i have eulogized him in poems but i have never actually published that poem because i i don't really want to do that i don't think that i should 
shared grief that I felt at the passing of a stranger so much because um, it's it doesn't feel genuine but when we see people putting up pictures of dead ones or someone who's died that was famous and they're in heaven meeting another dead famous person it, it kind of just feels a bit kind of weird and, and tacky to me I, I don't know and I don't want to be sounding like I'm, I'm dissing your grief but I think sometimes there's a sense of, of using the death of a person to promote another person to promote themselves uh, to promote um, themselves for, for no other reason just attention seeking and, and that kind of always drives me mad this poem shows how you can do that how you as a writer can commemorate the loss of someone you love that someone that you that meant something to you in an artistic level someone that you might not know personally but whose work touched you in a way that nobody else's work has ever done or whatever this poem shows how you can commemorate that passing without being overly dramatic about it and so that's what i want to do i want you to, i want you to listen to to frank read this poem because only he can do it better i love the way he reads his poems so i think i'll just let frank read um the poem to you um from beyond the grave it's halloween coming up this month as well not that i actually celebrate it um but anyway yeah beyond the grave so what i want to do is i just will stop talking now because i'm talking absolute gibberish and leave it to frank so here he is the day lady died it is 12.20 in New York, a Friday. It's three days after Bastille Day, yes. It is 19.59 and I go get a shoe shine because I will get off before 19 in East Hampton at 7.15 and then go straight to dinner and I don't know the people who will feed me. I walk up the muggy street beginning to sun and have a hamburger and a malted and buy an ugly New World writing to see what the poets in Ghana are doing these days. I go on to the bank, and Miss Stillwagon, first name Linda, I once heard, doesn't even look up my balance for once in her life. And in the Golden Griffin, I get a little Verlaine <clears throat> for Patsy, with drawings by Bonin, although I do think of Hesiod, Trans Richard, Richmond Lattimore, or Brendan Behan's new play, or Le Balcon, or Les Dagues, or Genet. But I don't. I stick with Verlaine, after practically going to sleep with quandariness. And for Mike, I just stroll into the Park Lane liquor store and ask for a bottle of Strega, and then I go back where I came from, to 6th Avenue, and the tobacconist in the Ziegfeld Theater, and casually ask for a carton of Goloise <clears throat> and a carton of Picayunes and a New York Post with her face on it. And I am sweating a lot by now and thinking of leaning on the John door in the five spot while she whispered a song along the keyboard to Mal Waldron, and everyone and I stopped breathing. Okay, so that was the poem. Um, and it was Frank reading The Day Lady Died. So what is this poem about? Well, obviously it's about the day someone died. But who is it about? See, this, this poem is a wonderful example of how to do a eulogy, or not a eulogy, an elegy for someone. How to write a poem that commemorates that moment when someone that has impacted your life has died. Now, 
the poem follows along this kind of breezy, wonderful manner. It was part of a collection called Lunch Poems. Uh, written, it is mostly believed anyway, uh, written during the lunch break that Frank would take when he worked at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. And this poem, this collection, is full of references of pop culture and art because he knew a lot of artists, Jackson Pollock, for example. So it, this collection is full of these kind of references and to pop culture and full of uh, names and places that did exist. Sometimes there were famous people, sometimes there were people that only he really knew. But there's a kind of an exuberance to this. When I hear Frank reading this poem or when I read this poem myself, I can hear his voice in my head now because I've heard the recording of him uh, reading it so often that, you know, it just feels like I'm sitting down with a mate. I'm sitting down and there's somebody that I know and he's telling me about what he did this day. And it's kind of, there's a gossipy kind of nature to it. There's a breathlessness to it. He's like just rushing that information that we've only got this half hour or, you know, to do a lunch. And he's got to, he's got to go and he's got to run and do all these other things. So there's that kind of sense. Excuse me while I readjust myself here. Um, you get, you get this sense as you, as you read the poem that this is a guy who is on his lunch break. And he's met you and he's telling you this account and he's rushing it out to tell you. And it just feels so breathless. So that's just a little bit of background about the poem, because it does really feel like you're talking to somebody on your lunch break or on their lunch break. In fact, it was quite well known for him to to go to different pubs and places like that and to write while he was on his lunch. And this is even referenced in pop culture, even still. The episode, there's an episode in Mad Men, and I think it's the beginning of season two, the first episode. In one scene, Don Draper is kind of skipped off of work and he's nowhere to be seen and people are sitting around waiting for him to come in for a meeting, but he's not at work. And we see him and he's in a pub and he's having something to eat. And he, there's a guy sitting there reading a collection of poems called Meditations in an Emergency, which was another collection of poetry written by Frank O'Hara. And the guy says that he actually wrote some of those poems in that pub. So it's it's part of pop culture even still today. The fact that Frank O'Hara wrote his work, his poetry on his lunch break as he was nipping around from one pub to another. And, and it's just a, a very fascinating kind of little detail that I think adds to as you listen to it you get that sense that he is giving you an, a narrative of his day there's the gossip of his day so what day is this that he's talking about um we already know that it's about the day someone died the day lady died it's called um and for a lot of us jazz musicians or jazz musicians jazz fans and and people like that, we would kind of have a rough idea. We like I know myself what day he's talking about because I I, I know about the poem and, and I love this poem a lot. Um, but we we get more information as the poem begins because Frank tells us it's two twelve or twelve twenty in New York, a Friday. So here we have it's lunchtime Friday, three days after Bastille Day. So Bastille Day is the 14th of July. 
So three days later is the 17th of July. And so we were told it's the 17th of July. And then we're told what year it is, 1959. So who died on the 17th of July, uh, 1959, with the name Lady? Well, none other than the incomparable Billie Holiday. This is about Billie Holiday, um, who I have always loved her voice and her music. I mean, the first time I heard Strange Fruit, it just staggered me. That, like, first of all, that this was happening, that people could do that to other human beings, but that somebody had the ability to write the words to explain this, which you know is easy enough i suppose if you're if you're able to write you can find a word to express this but to um convey the, the horror and and the, the, the emotion and the, the the pain of that the way billy did i don't think any other jazz singer would have been able to do it none of the other um great female singers would have been able to do because their voices were too powerful their voices it's been famously said anyway that billy didn't have a very powerful voice because she only had you know a, a very small range uh, you know vocal range but she had an ability to use a voice like an instrument that none other none of the other singers could do and and i don't think any other singer even to this day has been able to do what she could do with such a, a limited range in in her vocal ability or her vocal range and and I just love Billie Holiday's music and so you know straight away I'm kind of taken in at this but anyway just a little bit of silly detail there that's not really important but we, we go back to the poem like I said we're getting this kind of thing and he's breathlessly as you when you hear it he's kind of just rushing through what he did that day so he's gotten a shoe shine. Um, he's on lunch, lunch break, twelve twenty. He's gone off. He's gotten a shoe shine because he intends to get the four nineteen in East Hampton, and you know, and then at seven fifteen and go, go straight to dinner. Get off to uh, four nineteen in East Hampton, I should say, at seven fifteen, and then go straight to dinner. And he doesn't know who's going to feed him. So does this whole sense? He's you know he's got plans for later on. He's walking up a muggy street. It's July. It's hot. Um, and he has he has a hamburger and a malted. Now I always think that this is a malted milk, like a milkshake. Could be he's having a whiskey. I'm not sure, but he's having he's having a quick lunch. And then he buys a New World writing, an edition of New World writing to see what the poets in Ghana are doing these day, these days. So here he is, he's gone and he's after buying his magazine. And I have actually got a link which I'm going to put in there which talks about this and it actually has the cover of the edition that he's talking about which has, you know, writing from writers from Ghana. And I'll let, I'll let you decide whether you think it's ugly or not. So he's, he's carrying on and then he rushes to the bank and Miss Stillwagon, the woman who works at the bank the young woman because she's a miss not a missus because uh, back then obviously the minute a woman got married she had to leave her job and go into the home that was the kind of restricts of uh, restrictions of um american society at the time 
And indeed, a lot of Western society was like that. The minute you got married, you had to give up your job, uh, whatever it is. And you went into running your home and looking after your, your husband's needs and having children and looking after them. And there was this whole sense of everybody was either Mr. Mrs. or Miss. And there was this whole idea that your relationships were clearly defined and the roles of those relationships had to follow the path that, that was set out, the pattern that had been set out for them. So there was no way on earth that he would ever know what Miss Stillwagon's first name was. She was always going to be Miss Stillwagon, but he drops in this juicy little bit of gossip. I go to onto the bank and Miss Stillwagon, first name Linda, I once heard, doesn't even look up my balance for once in her life. And I, I love the way when he reads it because he can get this sense of, oh, for once. And, and there's the exasperation of this woman who seems to be a bit of a pedant. And is always checking up his balance and, and just not letting him do what he's there to do. He's in a rush. He wants to get the job done and get on because time is limited. He's had food. He's got other things to do and he needs to get on with it. So... Um, it's still like and something out of the blues after happening here she doesn't look up the balance for once so we get this sense that there's something a bit weird about this day something strange is happening um something odd because this woman the, the cracks are there you know he, he he mentions the fact that he knows her first name now because he overheard that which should not have happened but the idea that for once in her life she doesn't look up his his balance and just lets him get on with it so there's this sign that there's something ominous, something weird's happening. Why why did that happen? Why did she not do that? But we, we carry on. He gets on with, with things. He he sees this is, sees the fact that she hasn't asked for his balance as an opportunity for him to just get on and get out and, and, and do what he has to do. So then he goes to the Golden Griffin, which from what I can gather from the, the what he's saying here was a bookshop. I know I've looked it up and although i couldn't find that it was a definitely a bookshop um it, the golden griffin in new york was closed down in the 70s so but the fact that he happens to make mention of the fact he was or the fact the fact the fact what am i on about we get we get an idea that this is a, a bookshop because he mentions a number of writings a number of books he's talking about a collection of poems by verlan which has a uh, drawings of bon by bonar in it um he's thinking about a translation of hesiod he's looking up brendan bean's uh new play or the balcony or the blacks by gennett um and he's con contemplating you know should i get these what books should i get and, and he decides to stick with valan after practically going to sleep with quandariness and i love that line there's such a really clever line because it kind of gives this idea that he's almost bored himself to death with this quandary with this problem quandariness is the indecisiveness so his own indecisiveness is actually almost put him to sleep that's you know it's like oh just pick a book already so he, he decides right i'm going to stick with Verland as a gift for patsy and then for mike he goes to the park lane liquor store and he buys a bottle of strega and then he rushes onto 6th Avenue to a tobacconist at the Siegfeld Theatre. And he buys some cigarettes and a carton of picayunes. And then he sees the New York Post with her face on it. And again, in the, the link that has a copy of the uh, New World Writing, has a picture 
at the bottom of that page, and I'll have the link there, of this actual edition of the New York Post, Billy Holiday Dies, and, and a photograph of her. And that's where everything comes to a stop in this poem. And it's it's just, I think this is, is such a, a really moving moment. She's brought him to a stop. He's come to a stop, and and for now he all of a sudden he's sweating, and and I'm sweating a lot by now, and I'm thinking of leaning on the John Door in the Five Spot, which is a jazz club in New York, the Five Spot Cafe, and he's at it, it's so packed that he's up leaning against the the toilet door, the entrance into the toilets, and he's like, he's back to that moment, thinking about that moment at that leaning there in the packed club. Well, she whispered a song along the keyboard to Mal Waldron and everyone and I stopped breathing. And it's that that moment. Everything, the, the, the rapid kind of fire motion of him ripping around New York suddenly stops. And he's just stopped dead in his tracks and he's thinking about the la- this time where he heard her and she stopped the world as it seems she stopped everyone in that club not only from moving but everyone stopped breathing in that club and we get this same sense again that for that second his breath has been taken away by the sudden news that Billie Holiday is dead and that's what this poem is about this poem is about this whole idea of we are living our life we're going from one place to another and every now and then our world is brought off its tracks by the news that someone we know who is famous, uh, who we don't know personally, but we know because of their music or their impact on our lives for one way or another, normally for good, we'll admit, kind of shocks us out of our day-to-day flow. And it's kind of a weird idea, this grieving for someone who you don't know, who doesn't know you who you've never met and who your only contact with is through listening to their music or seeing them on the movie screen or going to their concerts. But it's this this idea. And and for me, like I know when Seamus Heaney died, I was I was stunned like this. And the only other times that I've been stunned enough was when David Bowie died and Leonard Cohen uh, recently. And, and and it was those moments when I heard that news where I was shocked. Another one was actually Yitzhak Rabin being assassinated. Was There were the, the, the four times that I can think of when somebody who I knew from, you know, who I knew but didn't know personally, but you know of, and, and, and when they died, their death kind of shocked you out of your stupor of your everyday life. And impacted you and, and kind of left you feeling a bit stunned. And we get that sense of the stopped breathing. Because as he says in, in this poem. He's he's thinking about her singing in that whisper. And it caused him to stop breathing. Because he's holding his breath to hear her. Afraid that he might drown her out. But now the news that she's died. The, the, the last three words of this poem tell you. Everything you need to know, I think, about how he felt that moment when he saw that that Lady Day died. He stopped breathing. 
shocked him he caught his breath and and that's what happens so i think that this poem is a is a brilliant lesson in how to write an elegy for somebody who you don't know but whose work and whose life has enriched yours through their art or whatever normally through their art and you know i i think that it's it's a brilliant way of doing that. We see a lot of people nowadays putting up on you know social media when somebody dies, and it's almost like they're trying to own the grief. They're trying to claim that they are more shook up by the death than anyone else is, and they're over the top with it. And I mean, the pictures of 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 actors or um you know going to heaven or pictures of singers going to heaven and meeting you know Jimi Hendrix and John Lennon and hanging out in, in beanbag corner kind of it's a bit crass and, and pointless and over the top histrionics over somebody dying as if their death impacted you more than anybody else I know people grieve in their own way and and all but you know at the end of the day if you don't know that person intimately and you're not part of that person's family but you're a fan of that person sure you must express how much that person meant to you and their their craft and, and their art impacted your life and enriched your life that's that's really cool but let the family grieve more um that's that's the idea but you know kind of going off on one there a little bit it's a bit of a thing that i i kind of find a big ghoulish is when you see people trying to act like they're more grief stricken than even the the person's family. This poem shows us as writers how to do it. How to take only just a couple of lines talking about the actual person and it conveys that sense of loss better than anything else and and and, and the shock of it and how when you hear that someone dies, it does just knock your day off course a, a bit to to such a degree that although no doubt he probably still went to those dinner plans, um the the joy of that day was taken, um when he when he learned about um Billy Holiday dying, so that that's the poem uh, like. I know I started this up by saying that art can take us out of our national, our, our sense of grief and with the way the world is going, we, we need things like art to take our mind off grief. And then I go and read a poem about somebody lamenting the death of a famous person that that they admired. Um, but, you know, even still at this point, for a good while, this poem doesn't feel like it's about death i mean death is there at the end of it like with all of us in life death is there at the end of it but there's also all that life going on in it as well and i love that about frank o'hara's poems there's just so much life in his in his poetry so that's my poem for this week i really hope you enjoyed it i and i do urge you to read it and and look up frank o'hara read his poems enjoy them they're, they're there to be enjoyed they're they're like all the poets, all the amazing poets that I've highlighted in this podcast so far, their, their work is there for you to find. It's online, it's available. Go out and read it. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. 
Don't forget to rate the podcast and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the links in the show notes for more information about the poet and to read the poem we looked at this week. And also check out the link to learn more about my poetry. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, stay safe.